service watching what gets you and then watching your faces like, okay, that's it. That was awesome. Happy Father's Day. It's good to have you all here at Manuka Bible Church. To all the dads and all the non-dads, we want to wish you all Happy Father's Day because every single person in this room has that in common. We all have a dad. Um, we, had, we had someone play a role, whether it was significant or minor, whether they were a part of our life for the whole time that we were uh, being raised and then some, or if it was just a sliver, that is something that every single person in this room has in common. And so one of the things that we come into Father's Day with is that, that appreciation of the fact that God used that individual to bring us into being. But if we were honest, if you are a dad, Father's Day is something that very much like Mother's Day has a tendency to remind you of your shortcomings. The fact that God has called you into this role that you seem to epically fail time and time again. And the problem that we have between where we're at right now and being the dad that God wants us to be is it's not a problem of anything else but windows. It's a window problem that we have. And honestly, it's because of the fact that the windows that we observe our world through changes everything. Windows are, are filters. They're, they're how we see the outside world, how we see ourselves and how we see others. And the window that we choose to, or, or maybe even subconsciously choose, to look at our world through, the windows that we choose to look at ourselves through, defines our attitudes and our actions and even our joy. And, and, and if you're a father this Father's Day, you may be reminded of the fact that you are not where you wish that you would be, or, you, or there's things that you would have changed about the past, or things that you wish that you were, but you aren't. And if you would like to be the person that God has called you into being as a dad, you have to deal with each one of these windows. Here's the first window. The first window that we have that is a barricade between us and the dad that we want to be is, is I didn't have a solid example. Um, many of us would say that, you know what, honestly, growing up, dad wasn't there. Dad wasn't there, or if dad was there, he wasn't present. I mean, he was present, but he wasn't present. He'd walk into the room and dad wouldn't say anything. He's watching sports, he's watching the news or watching something or he's out of the house. Or, or maybe your dad wasn't physically there. He was never around. Or if he was there, you wished that he wasn't. Because the example that he gave was one that you're still reeling from. There's habits and, and maybe even addictions that you currently have that you first learned at it from your dad. And so when you're looking out at the world and you're like, you know, here's the thing. This is what I hate about Facebook is that I look on Facebook and I see all these people that are thanking their dad and how their dad's awesome. And that's a rough, that's a rough storyline for me to live out because I have to say, I struggle with the fact that my dad wasn't a solid example. That may be your story. That may be the window that you're viewing things through. Or it might be something separate. It might be a little bit more specific. My dad wasn't a spiritual leader. You might be someone who became a Christian and all of a sudden you're coming to church and you're like, man, it looks like dads and moms at, at church and church land know what they're doing as far as raising kids to follow Jesus. And I, I've got zero playbook for that. I don't know what that looks like because that wasn't my story. The only person who dragged me to church was mom or grandmother or something, but it wasn't dad. I mean, faith in my family was feminine. I mean, it was the ladies saying, and the man's place was in the house on Sundays watching the sports. And I, we, you know, it was mom and the kids that would go to church. And so I'm here, but I'm lost, man, because I don't know what it looks like to be a spiritual leader in my house. And I get that, that, that moms have a great role, but it seems to me that there's something that a dad's supposed to do and I'm clueless as to what that looks like. I mean, half the time I feel like I'm making it up. And the other half of the time I know I'm failing. 
And so when I look out the window, I, I realize that I'm not the dad I'm supposed to be because I, growing up, I had no example of what that looks like. Now, up until this point, you're in a very good place because you could blame someone else, right? And that always feels good. It's my father's fault. But the problem is that you get to the third window and all of a sudden you step into the fact that you've made mistakes. Oh, and that's the thing that's so tough and difficult because the fact that when you're looking out this window, this is the one that stings the hardest because it's one thing to blame someone else. It's another thing to own it. And all of a sudden, if you've, had, if you've been a parent for five minutes or five years or 55 years, you know that you've made mistakes. And this is a hard window to look through because, again, you see other people. And obviously, you know terrible examples of people who made terrible mistakes, but they're not as personal as the ones that you've made. And when you're looking out this window, oftentimes you're thinking, I just wish I wouldn't have said that. I just wish I could, go, I could turn back the clock and go back to those earlier years and redo that. I wish I wasn't so angry. I wish I had a better control of my, of, my, of my words. I wish I would have never done or said that. Or I wish I would have done that. I wish I would have said that, but I didn't. I knew that I should have done this, but I, 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 didn't, I felt cowardly about it, or what, I just, but I didn't. And now I feel like it's just too late. And the tough thing about this window is that it doesn't stop when the kids leave the house. If, you, if you're someone who's an empty nester or you're a grandparent, one of the things that, that when we're talking to Manuka Bible Church folks um, that are people that have had kids out of the house for 10 years or 20 years or 30 years, this window is still haunting so many of them. So many dads just look and say, you know what, I just feel like I'm looking at my adult kids and I realize how much time I wasted running after the wrong things. And now that they're gone and they're out of the house, I'm watching my kids emulate the mistakes I made. And I feel hopeless. And I wish I could turn back the clock, but it seems like every time I try to double down and do the right thing and try to fix the past, I make it worse. It's just too late. This window is a barricade between us and what God has called us to being. For all of us on Father's Day that has lost someone, this final window is incredibly difficult. Some people um, in our church this past year, between last Father's Day and this, this was the year that you lost someone. Um, someone very dear to our church just lost a father last night. And so the, the fact that, that, that you come into Father's Day with this, it makes it very, very painful, because if, especially if you're a dad, because now you're like, you know what? I don't have him anymore to ask questions about how to do stuff. How, how am I supposed to live out my life? And I feel like this constant reminder of his absence or the fact that I left things unresolved or whatever is one of the reasons and one of the barricades to the fact that I can't be the dad that God has called me to be. We have Windows problems. Each one of these things is a problem that we have with the windows in our life. Hold on one sec here. And the thing that, that, that's tough about that is that if you're looking to the Bible for a Bible verse that deals with a father who doesn't have a good example or a father who doesn't have a spiritual example or, or a father who's made too many mistakes, you're going to find stories all throughout scriptures where you have first, you know, these accounts that are amazing. But the problem is that what you don't have is a specific Bible verse saying, hey, dad, dad, if you've made mistakes, here's what you need to do. Hey, dad, if you didn't have a spiritual leader, here's what you need to do. And the reason that you don't have the specificity of that in scripture is because of the fact 
the Bi- and then the reason the Bible doesn't take a whole lot of time on that, trying to explain or help us understand this, is because of the fact that the Bible, Scripture comes to the table with the understanding this is all of our story. Each one of these windows repre- represents and reflects all of our path that all of us struggle with, being the person that God has called us to be. And so Scripture doesn't even want to waste any time convincing us of this fact. It says, no, we all know that this is true. Let's step into the solution. God is still, Dad's, God has still called you to be the father that he, he wants you to be, that he desires for you to be. It's not too late. You haven't gone too far. It's not, it's not that you can turn back time and fix the past. No, but God is still calling you into the man that he's designed you and called you into being. And really, if you want to be a great dad, the, the, perp, the way that you do that is not by looking and, and how do I, you know, I'm going to be a great, I'm going to try to be a great dad. That's going to produce in me the ability to be a great dad. No, if you want to be a great dad, if you want to be the dad that God has called you to be, you have to first and foremost see yourself as a son, not as a dad. If you want to be a great dad, don't start with the dad part. That's later. If you want to be a great dad, start with first off seeing yourself as a son. You want to be the dad that God's called you to be. You got to start off seeing yourself not as a dad, but as a son. There's this part of the Bible where um, there's this story of this, this dad and this son. And Jesus is talking. He's talking to a bunch of religious people who are having a real issue with Jesus. Religious people consistently had a, a problem with Jesus. And the reason is, is that as much as he was a great teacher and he knew the scriptures, and that would make you, if you're a Pharisee, you'd want to be a fan of this guy. The problem with Jesus is he had a terrible habit. And the terrible habit was he kept on investing in and hanging out with immoral people like they mattered, like there was even hope for them. And, and the Pharisees are like, you are, Jesus, you are hanging out with all the people we would tell our children not to hang out with. And Jesus' response is a couple of stories. And he says, no, these people are valuable to the Heavenly Father. It's, it's like if you're a shepherd and like you lost a sheep. Now, they, they're not like, oh, it's my little sheep. It's my pet. And it's like, that's property. And, but it's, it matters to them. And so like, they're like, that is a valuable part of our family's income, that sheep. I'm going to run after and pursue that sheep and get that sheep back. And Jesus tells that story. And people in the crowd are like, oh, yes, well, that makes sense. And he's like, well, it's, it's, it's more than that, though. It's like if you lost something. You know what it's like when you, like, you, you can't find something around your house? Like, I'm not, I mean, we always lose our keys and phones, right? Or chargers. That, that's every week. But, like, that thing, like, you lose something really important, you can't find it for a day, and then, and then a week, and then all of a sudden you're like, man, it's been a couple of weeks, I can't find it. And then you found it. And when you find it, you're just, like, blown away. You're like, oh, there you are. You were valuable to me before, but now you're even more valuable to me. That feeling? right? So Jesus tells a story about that, and everyone in the crowd's like, oh yeah, I can relate to that. Jesus is like, no, you don't get it. It's, it's more than that. And then he tells them the story about a father and a son. And he tells the story that every single person in the crowd gets, especially the dads, because he tells a story about a son who's gone distant from the father. And all of a sudden, it comes down to a personal level, and it's in Luke chapter 15, And we're going to be reading Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. So if you've got your Bibles or Bibles on your phone, if you could turn there. Um, And this is the passage where Jesus talks about the very famous um, story of the prodigal son. Um, If you grew up in church, or even if you didn't, you know the concept of the prodigal son is this kid that wanders away, that goes away. But listen to the details of the story. If you could stand as we read Luke chapter 15, verses 11 and following. Jesus continued... There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, 
and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. So the story just goes from bad to worse. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. This is an individual who either is ignorant of the Jewish faith and their customs, and the fact that pigs are looked at as as unclean and, and you wouldn't touch them, you wouldn't eat them for sure. He's either ignorant of the Jewish faith and customs, or he's intentionally, racially, and ethnically slurring this individual by humiliating him, by causing him, forcing him to feed the pig. So he went off and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Greedy pigs. Verse 17, when he came to his census, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, I'm starving to death. I'll set out and I'll go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine, he was dead. He's alive again. He was lost. But now he's found. So they began to celebrate. This is the part where everyone in the crowd, all these, especially the dads, are getting a lump in their throat as Jesus is telling this because they got it. They get it. But just to drive the point home, Jesus continues. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked, what's going on? Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I have slaved for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you gave me, you didn't even give me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your wealth uh, and squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours, he was dead. He's alive again. He was lost. But now, he's found. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. The thing that's amazing about that story is that Jesus' point is not the prodigal son. Jesus' point is the, the messed up, jerky older brother. That was his point in telling the story because the Pharisees needed to hear that part of the story. And yet, every generation of followers of Jesus have not focused on the older brother. Who have we focused on? The younger brother, the prodigal son. Why? Because we see ourselves in him. 
the painter Rembrandt way back in the day. He's painting, he's a famous painter. And so he painted, back in, in that time, it was, it was popular to paint um, biblical uh, accounts and stuff. And people loved buying that stuff. And so he painted the prodigal in a tavern with the prostitutes, celebrating, singing, and everything else. The ironic thing about it is that Rembrandt decided to do something with the painting. He decided to paint himself in as the prodigal. He identified with him. He identified, with, especially at this point in his life, this is when Rembrandt is young. The lines in his painting are crisp and clear. It's very, very focused. It's, it's a dynamic piece. The shadowing, everything's amazing. Rembrandt sees himself, however, like that. He's like, yeah, if there's a guy in this story, that is me. And it was. It was pretty close to his life. Fascinating thing is that the fact that uh, Rembrandt painted another accounting of the prodigal son towards the end of his life, and it's the prodigal returns. And this picture is far less clear. The, the brushstrokes are far more jaded and, and, and sketchy because uh, the, the artist himself was growing older. But in this painting, he doesn't paint, depict the prodigal as, as, as this joyous celebratory in the tavern type of scenario. He, he shows that his head has been shaved out of disgrace and he's his, his missing one of his shoes and he's, he's, he's decrepit as he's, as he's coming before the father. You can see the judgmental older brother up there in the top right corner. And yet Rembrandt again paints himself into the painting, but not as the sun, but as the observer in the shadows. And he does so because at the end of his life, after all of the mistakes and rebellion and sin that Rembrandt had lived out, he had lived out the prodigal's life, he wondered at the end of his life, what will the father do with the son that's come home? Will he do what he deserves, which is to send him out, or will he receive him back? And so Rembrandt is sitting there watching to see what will happen. Each one of us who is a Christian finds ourselves wondering what will happen in that scenario. And each one of us sees herself as the son. And that is the key. Fathers, that is the key. If you want to be a good dad, if you want to be a great dad, you have to first and foremost see yourself as the son. Because encapsulated in that is the gospel that unlocks your ability to be all that God has called you to be. Here's why. If you see yourself as the son, first and foremost, you have the ability to be honest about your entry-level handicap. You don't have to, to bluff the fact that you have things together or beat yourself up because you don't. You could be honest about the fact that I struggle with sin. Is, is part of it because of the, my upbringing? Sure, I mean, I could point to that, but I, I come into this world as someone who has a propensity to see God and run the opposite direction in my decision-making. How many of you in here uh, struggle with being overly defensive? Okay, good, there's only two people. That's... This church, man, I tell you, we are winning. <laughs> Some of you didn't want to raise your hand because you're like, I'm offended that he even brought that up. I'm not defensive. I'm not defensive until I am. I'm, not, I'm one of the most laid back, joyous. I mean, you would love to hang out with me until, until you bring up something that you have an issue with me about. This happens at home. Laid back, happy-go-lucky, everything's wonderful. But then someone in our house brings up something that I've done wrong. Usually Julie. Julie will bring up something that I've done wrong. And when she does, all of a sudden, I, I'm just like, I go from like, to like, who does she think she is? You know why we're that way? We are the men, we are the most insecure people on planet Earth. We feel 
like frauds and phonies and incompetent every day of our life. And we could actually cover over that with enough busyness or maybe minor successes or feeling good about ourselves in a minor way. But as soon as someone brings up a truth about us, all of a sudden we become unraveled we, and we come apart at the seams. Why? Because we're so insecure. And what we don't want people to think is that we've got issues. If you dads are the son in this story, you could be honest with the fact that you have issues. The, uh, Jesus, as the author of this story, does not give us any backstory on the son. He doesn't say, yeah, you know, he's going to make some serious bad issues, bad, bad choices here. But he had a really good upbringing, great kindergarten life, elementary school. Was, he was above average. But then he made this terrible decision with his dad. No. Our entry level point in the story is the son sinning. The son hurting his father. His son turning his back on his dad. And so what we have, if we can identify with the son, is we could say, I could be honest with the fact that my entry-level point is I am frail and broken. I'm not good. I'm not perfect. I'm not put together. The gospel starts with the fact that in spite of the fact that God has created us for him, we've run the opposite direction. And if we identify as a son, we could be honest about that. Secondly, we can actually be honest that there's nothing in my power to fix the past. The cool thing about this story is that you got the son who's in the slop of the pigs, and he's like, okay, this is just madness. I, I am in such dire straits. I am going to die in this condition. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back to my dad, and I'm going to be completely honest with him. Dad, I, I've sinned against God, and I've sinned against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. So let me pay it off. Let me just work it off. I know that I can never work off what I've wasted. I know that I can never work off relationally what I've, what I've spoiled. But it, don't consider me your son anymore. I get that. I'm, I'm dead to you. But, but will you please just allow me to be someone who is your hired servant? At least I'll be able to survive and I can start putting money towards what I've lost. And so he gets back to his dad. And as soon as he gets to his dad, he starts the speech he rehearsed in the slop. And the speech goes something like this. And he says it. He repeats exactly what he sets out to say. Dad, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. And, and then he gets cut off. The dad does not allow him to say one more word. His dad does not allow him to get into any conversation about paying it off. You know why? He can't. He can't. He can't pay off the relational debt that he owes his dad anyway. There's no way. His dad stops him and he says to him, no, you are my son. You can't fix the past. If you are a dad that has regrets about your past, you can actually be honest about the fact that not only do you have sin in your past, but you can also be honest about the fact that you can't fix history. You can't go back and undo the decisions that you made, those things that you said that you shouldn't have said, those things that you did that you shouldn't have done. You can own them and you could apologize for them, but you can't fix them. So own that, own that, and be able to have, take the burden off that because if you end up walking and trying to drag the shame of those experiences and you're making decisions out of that, you will constantly have an awkward relationship with those around you that you love. The gospel says that if you look at yourself as a son, you can honestly say that there's nothing in your power to fix the past, which leads us to the third point, which is amazing that I can embrace, if I'm seeing myself as a son, I can embrace my truest identity as a dearly loved and phenomenally forgiven son. Again, this is the coolest thing about what the dad does. He takes that pre, 
pre-planned speech and he undoes it. He subverts it. He actually takes everything that the son is going to say, I'm going to be your hired person, and he reverses it and says, you are going to be set up like the royalty you are because you're my son. You were dead because of your decisions. You were dead to me because of how you live. But now you're back. Let the celebration begin and you can't pay for it. You can't earn it. This is a gift I'm giving to you. You deserve to be rejected and yet I accept you. I am your father. And if that is our reality, all of a sudden we can then take that back to the window that has been the barricade in our life. We can actually go back to the fact that I didn't have a solid example. And we could say, you know what? I'm not going to look through this window anymore. This is not going to be the window that I see the world through because this is not the end of the story. This is not, this is not the end of my life. Uh, if, if my dad is alive or, whether, or, or not, I can actually make a choice and say, you know what? I'm going to let Father's Day be about forgiveness. I'm going to choose to forgive my dad. Not excuse my dad. Not say my dad, it wasn't a big deal what he did. No, it was a big deal. I, I did not, all these things that he did, they were big deals, but I'm not going to let them define me or allow me to continually be dragging bitterness against him. This Father's Day, I'm going to choose to forgive him. And I'm going to choose to, to write a different story with my life. I'm going to live the truth. I want the people following me, my kids. I'm going to live the truth. I want them to follow. I'm going to live it out and I'm not going to give up. Because you know what? Um, one day, my kids are going to reflect on my parenting or my grandparenting. And they're going to have questions about that or they're going to have issues with it. I guarantee you my kids are going to have issues with it. How do I want them to respond to that? How do I want them to forgive me? I can live out the truth, the reality that I'm a forgiven son, forgiven of so much by God, and that could prompt me to live out that forgiveness, model that for my kids, and not give up. Not only that, I can actually step into the next window and recognize that, yeah, it may be true that my dad wasn't a spiritual leader, and I could be honest about that. I could be honest about the fact that he wasn't there, or he wasn't the one who was showing me how to do stuff. But I'm making the decision not to let that be the end of the story or the only window that I'm looking out of as if that was the definition of my life or my path forward. My dad, um, I've told you guys this story so many times, but that's, that's my dad right there, Dennis McFadden on the far left. Then there's my brother, Josh, and there's me not paying attention and about to trip over his foot. That's a Death Valley on those on a family vacation. My dad could say this. My father was not a spiritual leader. Everett McFadden, to my dad, was someone who not only was not a positive spiritual leader, he was a negative spiritual influence on my dad. He rejected Jesus to the day that he died. Every day, my dad was, was fed a spew of profanity aimed at everyone, including my dad, letting him know how lame he was, how shortcoming he, his life was. When my dad became a Christian and ultimately wanted to be a pastor, he was shamed for it by his dad. My dad could say, I didn't have the playbook that equipped me to be a spiritual leader, and that's why I'm not a spiritual leader. He could say that, but he didn't. My dad wasn't a perfect dad. He wasn't a perfect spiritual leader. Again, he had zero playbook, but I am part of the reason I am who I am today is because of the fact that my dad didn't let this window, what he was given, be the end of the story for him. And even though I didn't learn how to do devotions for my dad, other men in the church helped me see how to do that. My dad wasn't taught that by his dad. 
Other men in the church taught me how to do that. They were like spiritual fathers to me, but my dad showed me things. He showed me about faithfulness to my mom. He showed me about, he showed me about forgiveness. He showed me about how like giving to God, how, how important that was, even though we didn't have a lot. He, he, even when the church backstabbed my dad, time and time again, my dad forgave. I, I, these are things that my dad showed me. And you know what? He showed me each of those things without Everett McFadden ever showing him how to do that. Everett McFadden showed him the opposite. But my dad chose to live out a different thing. And right here on this stage, one of the most wonderful days of my life, when I was installed uh, to be the lead pastor here at this church, of all the guys that were on stage praying over me, there's Carlos and Dave and Josh Amstutz and Mark Fisk and Terry Musclo and, and others. It was, it was my dad. My dad. The guy with zero playbook. My dad with, with zero spiritual leadership given to him. My dad, who chose to take the little pieces of what the gospel showed him about being a forgiven son and let that flesh out into his life, it was my dad that prayed over me. So wherever you're at, recognize that you have an opportunity and your opportunity is to choose to live out the truth that you want them to follow and don't give up. Don't give up. If you feel like you're, you're failing as a spiritual leader, well, that, that's okay. You're, you're in good company. Let us come alongside you and learn from others as they shape how you parent in this situation. One of the best things that we can recognize is that this window no longer has to have power over us. I've made too many mistakes. We could actually say that Jesus on the cross not only forgave my sin, but he also took away my shame. So, I mean, a lot of times we, we believe that God's forgiven our sins, but we still walk in the shame and we're still punishing ourselves as if our punishing ourselves gives us an ability to feel bad enough that we're paying it back to God or something. And still, we need to see ourselves like a son because if we see ourselves as a son, then all of a sudden we see our mistakes as a part of the story, but not the end of the story. And this Father's Day, we can actually forgive ourselves. Again, we've said this before, but you can let yourself off the hook because the Heavenly Father put Jesus on the hook for us. He took away our sin and our shame. So now we can actually say, yep, I made a lot of mistakes as a dad, but you know what? I can make the decision to change that. I can live out the truth. I want my kids to follow from this day on and not give up. I want my kids to watch how I interact with reality and I want them to emulate. What do I want my kids to do 20 years from now when life blows up in their face? And I can live that out. How do I want my kids to be present with their kids? And I could, starting today, flesh that out. And if you're a grandparent or you're an empty nester and you feel like, oh man, I've already, life, it's way too, too, too far into this storyline to get started on this, that is not true. One of the, my favorite things is hearing people at this church who in their 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s decided, you know what, enough's enough. I'm no longer looking through this window. And instead, I'm gonna let God start in me what he wanted to start a long time ago and to see the impact in their life and sometimes in their family's life. Live that out. And regarding the father that's no longer here, if you're a believer, you have resources to, that right at your disposal that help you understand that you can live with gratitude. You could thank God for the things that he did right, that you can emulate, and you could come to peace with the things that he didn't. You are a son that is forgiven. And the windows that we have no longer have to keep us barricaded. We can actually live out the truth we want our kids to follow and not give up. How do you want your children to mourn your passing? How do you want your children to remember the loss of you and live that out now? Live out that, flesh that out 
with your parents, if your parents have passed away, flesh that out now so that they will see an example of that. Which brings us to this guy. This is John. Everyone say, hi, John. Okay, John says, hi. That's John Jankowski. That's Dave Jankowski's dad. And uh, John is 100 years old. That's like 100 years <laughs> old. 100 years. We got a chance to celebrate his 100th uh, birthday in uh, Big Bear in California this past week. And we're, everyone's sitting around and we're doing the, you know, the family reunion things, honoring him and stuff. And someone's like, you know, you just you gave us such a great example of being someone who is always like, you were, like one of the things you did is you were active through your whole life. You were, you, you were a pilot, but you, you were active and you were a hiker. And in your 80s and 90s, you were still hiking and climbing mountains and stuff. And, and I mean, you're probably even active to write. You probably could do push-ups right now. And he's like, yeah, I can. And then he did. 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30. Incredible. These people are sick. If this was a McFadden reunion, we'd be eating food and watching movies not challenging 100-year-olds to push-up contests. <laughs> but they did. And they continued. They continued to talk through it. And people were talking through the fact that they said, you know what, Grandpa, um, you, you were someone who, you, you gave us such a great example. You've been so generous with us and, and given us your time and, and helping us out when we're in time of need. And, and Grandpa, you're someone who, you read your Bible every day. And he's like, I do. Like, yeah, I know. And that like challenges us. And, and Grandpa, you're old. I am. Yes. And yet you still go to church every Sunday. And like, we're, we're, like it's easy to make up excuses not to go to church on Sunday. Like, man, I can't go to church today. It's well, it's Sunday. Why would I go to church? You're still going, and you're like, you're there every single week. It's like, yes. And people are talking, and, and the, the beauty of this is that that was not always the story for John. John, for much of Dave Jankowski's childhood, was not a very friendly father. He was not a very present father. He provided for the family, but he was very rough. And gruff, and, 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 he, and he was an individual that you didn't want to be in the same room with until right around when Dave was 15 or 16 years old, he attends church with his wife. He never wanted to go to church. He was like, why would you go to church? He shows up to church, and he hears the gospel, and he gives his life to Jesus. And something changed in John's life. Dave, unfortunately, was old enough. He, he was at a point where he was re rebelling against his parents anyway, so he didn't see it. But the younger kids did. And the young kids had a chance to see the shift in their dad, who all of a sudden became a lot more reflective of the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control. All of a sudden, those things that weren't present in their dad before that started to percolate up. All of a sudden, John's at church every single week, and he's learning more and more. And the thing that I think is so cool about what happened in John is the fact that even though he wasn't that way for so much of it, the upbringing of his children, he did not let that be the window he viewed the world through. Instead, he started to live out a difference, and his kids saw it, and he left a legacy to the point that if you looked at the family, in the midst of all of the fact, the fact that each one of these individuals have made epic fails in their life, they've had ups and downs, divorces, broken hearts, terrible things that have taken place, you still have this amazing line of the gospel coming through and Jesus saving the day each and every time. 
hearing the conversations about these people's faith around the table and what God has brought them through blew me away. And you know who God used to do that? That guy. Why? John wasn't aiming to be a good dad. He just saw himself like the son that was forgiven much. Phenomenally loved and phenomenally forgiven. Fathers, do not compare yourself this Father's Day to other fathers. Simply look at yourself as the son that's been forgiven much. And in that, choose to live the truth you want them to follow and don't give up. Amen? Amen, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for the fact that you, you identify with the father in this story. You are the good father who receives us back in spite of ourselves. God, I thank you that the gospel screams to us the fact that we are far from you by our own choice, and yet you have brought us back. Lord, I pray that this Father's Day, you will allow each of us fathers to spend it in forgiveness and being forgiven. That you give us the reality that your gospel proclaims to us that every day is a new start to not give up following your lead, and that you will give us everything we need to do so. May that be the legacy we leave, and we'll do so in your name. And all God's people said, amen. Happy Father's Day. See you next week.